0: It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado, with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Over the last several weeks, we've been walking through the first part of Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, we are still in verse 3, which is exciting, uh, which we're wrapping up today. Oh, it's going to be good. Uh, it's interesting, uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1 is the introduction, uh, the prologue, if you will. Paul's kind of giving his basis of why he can even speak to the church. And he says, hey, I'm an apostle. Hey, this wasn't my choosing. God chose me. And he talks about the fact that he's, he's writing to the saints and the believers He gives his greeting, saying grace to you and peace in verse 2, from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And then as he comes into verse 3, he's thundering in with a phenomenal message. Now, it's interesting, or at least important to note, that the book of Ephesians is not a corrective letter. A lot of the letters that Paul wrote is corrective. In other words, uh, for example, Corinthians. (laughs) Corinthians is a corrective letter. Corinth had issues, like major issues. And if you want to see some of their issues, read Corinthians. And Paul's like, don't do this. Don't do, quit doing this. Stop doing this. It's a corrective letter. Ephesians is not like that at all. In fact, Ephesians is one of the few letters that Paul wrote that is merely just, if you were to boil Paul down, if you were just to see his heart, this is his just, whoa, I just, I, I just want to talk about the grandeur of Jesus Christ. Oh, if I could just somehow express all that God is doing. Man, God is doing some phenomenal things. I just want to share that with you. That's the book of Ephesians. And so Paul is talking about just the richness of Jesus Christ, uh, who we are and our position in him, the fact that God has an eternal plan. And so all that's being covered in the book of Ephesians. So it's interesting then as you get into verse 3, Paul begins to talk about the blessings that we have in God. In fact, from verse 3 down to verse 14 is the blessing section. And I would encourage you to read it at some point. Uh, but the blessing section is split into three sections. Verse 3 through 6 is the blessings we have in the Father. Verse 7 through 12 is the blessings we have in the Son. And verses 13 and 14 is the blessings we have in the Spirit. But it's intriguing, and we looked at this a couple weeks ago, but every single blessing that God has for us is found in one place. So it's not that He has a whole bunch of different blessings, even though you could articulate it that way. And, and Paul says, hey, there's this blessing, there's this blessing, there's this blessing. And we need to talk about them separately because, in, in a sense, they are separate blessings. And yet, every single blessing finds its fulfillment in one place. And you're never going to guess what that is. All right, you guess, But <laughs> every single blessing that God has for you is found in Jesus. So whether it's the blessings of the Father, whether it's the blessings of the Son, whether it's the blessings of the Spirit, everything that God has for you is found in one location, Jesus. In fact, Peter wrote about that in 2 Peter 1.3. Peter says that everything that we need for life and for godliness is found in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but there's not much that I can think of that I need outside of life and godliness. That everything that I need is found in him. Do you know how phenomenal that is? That when I have Jesus, I really have everything that I need for life. That if I would just have Jesus, if I could embrace Jesus, then I don't need anything else. That's an exciting thought. So Paul is giving this huge list of blessings, and and they are phenomenal, but every single blessing that God has for you finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ because he is the blessing of all blessings. So in verse 3, I just want to read this to you afresh, and I want to look at a key line here. Uh, But verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And if you want to go back to the other uh, previous studies, we've been walking through this idea of the blessing. Uh, Last time we looked at the heavenly places. Uh, This morning I want to look at this idea of the in Christ. And obviously it's language that if if you spend any time around us, uh, we're always talking about your position being in Christ. But it's interesting, when you look at this phrase, in Christ it really becomes the heart of the epistle to the Ephesians. In fact, 34 times in the first three chapters, Paul uses a language, in Christ, in him, in whom. It's just like he can't get off of it. He's like, hey, do you know what you're supposed to be? In Christ. Hey, do you know what your position is? In him. Hey, do you know what you're supposed to be? In him. In Christ. In him. In whom? In Christ. In him. In whom? In Christ. In him. Are you getting this? It's like Paul is taking a two by four and tapping on your forehead saying, in him, in Christ, in him, in whom, and he's just saying, get it. Are you getting this? 34 times, boom, 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 and you finally get to the end of chapter three, and your conclusion is, I think he's trying to tell me something. He is. He's telling you, hey, you need to be smack dab in the middle of Jesus Christ. And and again, the way I describe Ephesians, oftentimes Ephesians has six chapters, at least that's how we've broken it up. And the first three chapters is all about your position. And Paul says that you are to be seated in your position, which is in Christ. And yet, as you're seated in Christ and you're never to get up from that position, that is your position for life. From this point forward, never get up from the position of being in Jesus. Don't say, well, I think I got this figured out. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. I can do this on my own now and get up from the position of being in Christ. Never do that. Hey, you are in Christ. Stay there. Hey, be seated. And yet, in chapters 4 through 6, it's like it's the outflow of being in Christ. In other words, you have the theological section. Hey, your position in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6 is the practical outflow of what does that look like lived out on your streets. Uh, The cheesy illustration I keep using, and it is cheesy, uh, is an electric wheelchair wheelchair. Uh, you're in this electric wheelchair, oh, you're seated in the electric wheelchair. You are resting in the electric wheelchair. You are in the wheelchair. And yet the wheelchair has this cool little toggle switch, right? You just kind of, and you're, you drive around. In other words, there's movement in the Christian life. There's activity in the Christian life. You are called to do certain things in the Christian life, but from a seated position in Christ, that he is your source. He is your life. And Paul, over and over and over and over and over again in this epistle, is saying, do not get up from that. You do not graduate from being in Christ. You only deepen. If anything, you sink down into. You get even more planted in your position. So stay there. Uh, again, that language, in Christ, uh, just in this blessing section, in these 12 verses, it shows up 12 times. Talk about repetition, And you know that repetition is a great teaching tool. Repetition is a great teaching tool. Repetition, if you didn't know, is a wonderful teaching tool. One of the best teaching tools, if you didn't know this, is repetition. And Paul, over and over and over and over again, is saying, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Again, he's hitting you over the head with a two-by-four, saying, hey, get a hold of this. Uh, And I don't... I, I, I put someone, because I, I couldn't track down the reference. But there was some scholar who, who did this study, and I, and I probably just need to verify this. But looking at this phrase, in Christ, and in him, and in whom, throughout Scripture, out at of the, at, at, at the New Testament, that word shows up 160 times. This is really central to our lives, folks. Paul just is in love with that phrase, in Christ. Your position is in Christ. That word in, in Greek, is fascinating. It's in, in Greek. The word in gives a picture of something. Uh, For example, right now you are in this room. And you can say, well, I came into the building. That's not this word. Uh, Ek, or sorry, ice, E-I-S, means to go into. In other words, this morning as you were coming into the building, you were icing into the room. Right? You were coming into the room. Now, you're in, you're coming in, but that's not what we're talking about. Uh, Ek means to come out of. So, hey, at some point today... About six hours from now, you're going to be going out of this room, right? And you could say, eck, not yuck, but ek, I am ecking out of this room. That wouldn't, I know that's not a word, but, but the word in implies no motion. It actually implies rest. In other words, right now, if you were to look at yourself right now, we're not talking about you coming into the room. We're not talking about you leaving the room. We're talking about you sitting in these uncomfortable chairs in the room. And you're resting in this room. And your position is in this room. That's this idea. And again, it implies this idea of rest. And again, it's this great picture. It's a different word. I understand this. But it's the picture of John 15, the abiding idea. Again, the word for abiding in John 15 is minnow. But the idea of abiding is this idea of sinking down into That that you are resting, that that here's this big lazy boy recliner, and what am I doing? I'm abiding in the lazy boy recliner. I'm just, I'm in it. And Jesus says, hey, you are a branch, and here's this vine. And the branch is to be abiding, resting, holding tight to the vine. And again, my, my favorite definition for abiding is refusing to depart. Hey, what is the branch doing? It is holding tight to the to the vine and it is refusing to depart. Why? Because the life of the vine is the only life source the branch has. So if the branch desires life, if the branch wants to have the life within it, then it must hold tight to the vine. Because the vine itself is its life. You are in Christ. You are to abide in Christ. Which means what? Yes, sink down into rest. Be in him. And yet cling to him for everything. Because he is your life. Refuse to depart from him. Because you're in him. So, let me give you three quick concepts with this idea of being in Christ. Number one is the idea of induction. The question is, how do we get in Christ? If our calling is to be in him... Well, how on earth does that take place? So let me give you a whole bunch of thoughts. In Romans 5 and 6, and we didn't have time to read them all, but if you read chapters 5 and 6 of Romans, it says that through the work of Christ upon the cross, you find the means of salvation. It is His work upon the cross that you find life, that you find salvation, that you find freedom, that you find yourself in Him. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 4, and verse 8 it says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. Verse eight: For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is a gift. How do I find myself in Christ? It's not through self-effort. It's not through gritting my teeth and trying to pull this thing off. It's not through all right. I'm going to attempt to be in Him. How do you get in Christ? Jesus. It's his work. It's a gift. And you get to partake of this reality. So salvation and finding your position in Christ is not something that you can accomplish through self-effort, wisdom, talent, ability, or whatever. It is Christ's working in your life. So you could ask the question, well, what part do I have? What, What do I get to do? Nothing. But if you want something to do, uh, Romans 10 nine, verse 9 and 13 says this, "That if you confess with your mouth, the Lord sorry, if you, that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved." What is your job description? Believe. Confess with your mouth and believe. That's really nothing, I know. Because this is not of you. This is not of your own self-effort. This is not of your own pockets. This is not of your self-anything. That you get, you, you get to claim nothing of your salvation except that you get to experience it. This is his working in your life. Now, yes, you have to respond. Yes, you have to confess. Yes, you have to repent. Yes, you get to believe. But you realize that even the confession, even the repentance, even, even the belief is his working in your life to produce this. This is his life generating and causing this to come about. Acts 15, 11, But believe that, the, that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved. Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. John 20, 31. But these things are written, says John, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, the word there believe, it's interesting, in the book of John, John uses that language of believe. 100 times. It's more than all the rest of the New Testament put together. John is just saying, hey, believe, 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 believe! But do you realize that what he's saying is not, he's not referring to mental ascent. He's not talking about a mental thing. My favorite illustration is, um, I take you up on an airplane and uh, I say, oh, it's a great view. So, so we open the side door and we're looking down, we're like, whoa, isn't this awesome? And as, and as you're looking out like, this is, this is pretty cool. I come up from behind you and I go. Poof. And now you're. <laughs> and I realize, oh, yeah, you probably need a parachute. So I grab a parachute and I go, here. <laughs> now here you are. Here's the parachute. Right? Now, you look up to the parachute and I yell out the, out the window, do you? believe in the parachute and you look up you go I do it's right there you realize that's not going to help you and you can have all the mental faculty you want, you can have all the mental assent you want, you can believe as much as you want in the mind that woo the parachute's right there and you're still going to right That hey, that's not going to help you and that's not this word. This word has the idea that when I, when I look out the window and I say, hey, do you believe in the parachute? You go, uh-huh, and so you start making your way over. <laughs> I don't know how else you do it when you're in the sky, but you know, you make your way over to the parachute, you take the parachute, you put the parachute on. Here's a question for you. If you're falling and you have a parachute, how tight would you be holding on to your parachute? Yeah, I don't know about you, but I'd be like, I'm holding tight to my parachute. Why? Because this is your sole means of salvation. Do you realize the same thing's true about Jesus Christ? Ephesians says you're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's it's clothing language, but you could also say it's parachute language. That he is your life. And John says, hey, I'm writing to, to you that you might believe and that by believing you might have life. It's not saying, oh, well, yes, I believe that Jesus did some great things for me. And it, it's not mental things. It's not a mental ascent. What is, what is John talking about? John is saying, you need to experience the life. You need to experience the salvation. You need to experience Jesus Christ. You need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ like you would put on a parachute if you're falling from an airplane, and you hold tight. You refuse to depart. You abide in that parachute because it is your means of salvation. Jesus is your means of salvation. He is the only source of life. And you are to believe in him, which means not just think upon him. I mean, yes, do that too. But you are to put him upon you, and you are to hold tight to him for life and for godliness. So how do you find yourself in Christ? Well, you believe. You put on, as a parachute, Jesus Christ as your sole means of salvation. And you live in faith of his sufficient work upon the cross. And you're in him. Uh, Romans 6.11, which you're familiar with, is that idea of reckoning, which again is an accounting term. So it has this idea of to take an account, to determine, or to apply. But you are to reckon the death and life of Jesus as your own. That his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his life is now yours. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means that you are having his life. That you have, you know, that you are partaking in his death, resurrection, ascension, position, his life. That you are partaking of that. How do you partake of that? You reckon it. That this is now true in my life. I have forsaken my old life and I am now put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, from this point forward, is my life and I'm gonna to cling to him for everything. Second Corinthians 517 and verse 21 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Would you put him on? So what then is the induction to being in Christ? It's not my work, but it's his. Though I must believe, obey, and live by faith in him. So number one, again, is induction. Number two, this idea of being in Christ, is this idea of indwelling. You realize that when we talk about in Christ, it really is, is, there's two aspects of this idea of in Christ. And there are two essential elements for the Christian life. Listen to how Paul says this in Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't it an amazing reality that I am to be in Christ, and he is to be in me? That the life, Paul says, that I am now living I'm not merely living out of my own resource. I'm not merely living out of my own intellect. I'm not merely living out of my own strength. And yeah, that's there and it's participating, but, but he's just somehow put himself within me and now he is the source. He is the, he is the engine, if you will, of my life. And yes, I get to participate. And yes, he's using my thought process. And yes, he's using my strength or what little there is of it. But wow, it's, it's him in and through my life. So the twofold reality of a Christian is that I am in Christ, but Christ is in me. I love this passage in Colossians. Paul says, this mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What's the mystery, Paul? Paul says it is Christ in you, the hope of glory The grand mystery, which made no sense throughout the Old Testament. But it it was there. It was was there all throughout the Old Testament. God's purpose and his desire to be in you. But it didn't make sense until Jesus Christ. And now, in the fullness of the times, in Jesus Christ, he wants to to indwell me, be his Holy Spirit. No one else is excited. That's fine, but... This is amazing! 1 Corinthians 6.19 Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you, have, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Hey, you are not in charge of your body any longer. Hey, you are not in the control position. Do you not recognize that your body is a cracked pot? That's what Paul says in Corinthians. You are a cracked pot, not just a pot. Because pots would be awesome. Paul says, you're a pot that has a big crack in it. And you're like, Paul, can I just be a pot? He says, no, you're a crack pot." <laughs> Don't go crazy with that. I know it's Colorado, but. He says, no, you're actually a pot that has weakness. And he says, that's a good thing. Why would it be good for me to be a pot that has a weakness, a crack in it? Paul says, do you recognize that that pot is being filled with the glory of God, the very presence of God? Which means if there's a crack in it, more of him is able to be seen. Do you recognize that we are weak, folks? Paul says, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. Why? Because then the strength of the Lord can be seen all the more. That if we had it all together, people would see us and not him. And the fact that we are a pot that has a crack in it, it's, it's, a, it's a wheat vessel, means he can be seen all the more. Paul says, do you not recognize that his presence lives inside of you and that you are in him? That's amazing. But then he wants to be in you, shining forth his life through everything that you say and that you do. By the way, do you know what we would call someone who lived like that? We'd probably have to call him a Christian. So the end result of the indwelling life of Christ within you, via the Holy Spirit, is to produce the life and the character of Christ within you. God doesn't leave you where you are. He's interested in growing and maturing you after the likeness of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ as it says in Ephesians 4.13. Or as Colossians 2.9-10 says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. I'm in him, he's in me. And almost flabbergastingly, that's not even a word, but I just made it up, in, in an amazing reality... He's shaping and forming and transforming my life to be more and more like him. That's crazy to me. Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Some translations say attitude. But it's interesting, that word for mind or attitude is the Greek word phroneo. And that word, it doesn't just mean mind, it doesn't just mean attitude. That's, that's true But this idea from now really is the orientation of living. It's the orientation. It's the focus of life. And Paul says the same focus, the same orientation, the same mind, the same attitude that Jesus had, that is to be inside of you. Well, how are you going to pull that one off? Tomorrow afternoon, we're going to have a seminar called The Mind of Jesus, Five Steps to Thinking Like Christ. You're going to come in here, and we're going to sit down and we're gonna go through a whole list of five things of how to have the mind of Christ. And then you're gonna leave here and you're gonna grit your teeth, and you're gonna try to pull those things off, and you're gonna say, I'm gonna have the mind of Christ, I'm gonna have the mind of Christ, I'm gonna have the mind of Christ. You realize that's not gonna work? Do you recognize the only way you're gonna have the mind, the focus, the attitude, the orientation of Christ is for him to come in and do it inside of you? Which is actually what even the Greek word suggests. Uh, it's interesting, it's an imperative. This is a command. You are commanded to have the mind of Christ. This isn't a suggestion. Hey, you are commanded by Paul, have the forneo of Jesus Christ. Have the mind, attitude, orientation, focus of living, just as Jesus had. Hey, you're, this is a command. you have to have this. It's present tense. And in the Greek, the present tense isn't just present tense. Present tense has this idea of whatever it is present tense. It's the ongoing present tense. So anytime you are living in the present tense, this should be real in your life. And I don't know if you get this, but you always live in the present tense. (laughs) Some of your minds may be in the past. Some of you may be thinking in the future, but you're always living in the present. Which means Paul's saying, hey, I command you. Have the mind of Christ. Well, win when? Whenever you're in the present. So, like right now. Yeah. How about right now? Yeah. What about right now? Yes. What about five years from now? Well, when that becomes present, yes. But interestingly, this word is passive. Uh, most words, it's either active, middle, or passive. I, I don't, don't get lost here, okay? Everyone take a breath. Okay. If it's active voice, it means the subject is responsible for the action. Classic illustration. The boy hit the ball. The boy, the subject, is responsible for the action. If it's passive, it means that the subject is receiving the action. In other words, the boy got hit by the ball. Ah! This is Passive. Which means what? You are not responsible to produce this. Have the mind of Christ! All right, how am I gonna do this? Pull this thing off. Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not the emphasis. He says, I command you, have the mind of Christ. What is he saying? Receive it. Hey, would you allow Christ to give you his mind? Would you allow Jesus to give you his attitude? And would you allow Jesus to give you his orientation and focus of living? This is not think good thoughts. And hey, you are commanded to think good thoughts. But this is not buckle down, take cold showers, you know, grit your teeth, try to pull this thing off. This is, hey, would you come to him and say, Jesus, I, I need you to produce this in me. You realize that's even possible because you are in Christ and he is in you. And his Holy Spirit indwells in your life which means you get to participate in something like this, intimacy and relationship, and you can be a cute old couple with Jesus, which means you start to act like Jesus and think like Jesus and talk like Jesus and maybe even start to look like Jesus. Why? Because he lives inside of you and you get to spend time with him. And one of the amazing realities of being in Christ is the fact that he gets to be inside of you and he's going to be producing his life, his character, his mind, his attitude, his focus, his orientation in you. So it's not just the induction. It's not just this idea of indwelling. But really quickly, let me just talk about this idea of identity. Do you know what is supposed to identify your life? Do you know what your identity is supposed to be? Jesus. So often in our culture today, our identity becomes the things that we do. Typically, you are not identified by the things that you do. You're identified by who you are. It's the inside stuff. Do you realize that your identity is not, well, I used to be a drug addict for 50 years and all this kind of stuff. Your identity is not, well, I'm addicted to these things. So your identity is not supposed to be, well, I struggle in this area. Your identity is not, well, here's my job. Your identity is not, oh, this is the church in the background, the denomination I, go, I, you know, I come from. Your identity is supposed to be him. And one of the just amazing thoughts is if I am in him and he is in me, he wants to be my identity. Therefore, when the world looks at me, they're not just to see me, they're to see him. Ian Thomas, again, I love Ian Thomas, but here's my paraphrase of my favorite Ian Thomas quote. The only explanation for your life is to be Jesus. Jesus. That when someone looks at your life, the only way they can explain your life is, wow, they're tight with Jesus. I don't know how to explain the love that comes out of them. I don't understand how they can have peace in the midst of uncertainty. I don't understand how is it that they can act like this in this circumstance. I don't understand how they can treat these people who just drive us all crazy the way that they do. See, wouldn't it be amazing if the only explanation for your life was Jesus? That your identity was him. How are you gonna pull that off? You gotta be in him. And he needs to be inside of you. John 13, 35 says, By this all will know that you are my disciples. How is the world gonna know that we are disciples? If you have love for one another, that you're marked by love. And you realize that love is not merely an emotion, love is a person. First John chapter 4, verse 8 and 16 says, God is love. That we are marked by him and his character and his nature. And the world, when, the, when the world sees us, they don't see us, they see him. And his nature coming out of our lives. That your identity becomes Christ. Really quick, did you know that if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, the Bible gives you a multitude of benefits, he says, Hey, this is what it means to be in Christ. You get to experience this when you are in Christ. Now, I'm just going to give you a quick list. You ready for this? This is so powerful. Listen to this. Think about what the Bible says that you get to experience when you are in Christ. <clears throat> that there is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. That we can never be separated from God's love. We who are many form one body. We have wisdom from God, our labor is not in vain. We are a new creation. We become God's children. We have every spiritual blessing. We have the forgiveness of sins. We are chosen. We are for the praise of his glory. We've been seated in heavenly realms. We've been given the incomparable riches of God's grace. We who were once far off have been brought near. We are built together as a holy building. We may approach God with freedom and confidence. We are light. Our joy can overflow. All our needs are met according to His glorious riches. We are holy and faithful. All things are held together. We have our hope of glory in Christ. We become fully mature. We are hidden, sorry, are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge for us. We are rooted and built up. We've been given the fullness of the deity. We We have come into reality. Our life is now hidden. We will rise from the dead. We can give thanks in all circumstances. We have faith, hope, and love. We can gain an excellent standing and great assurance we have the promise of life. Wow. Do you realize that all of that, biblically, you get to participate in? You get to experience when you're in Jesus. So think about what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is saying, Do you not recognize that everything that God has for you is found right there in Jesus? That what, what's my identity? Jesus. Hey, what are the blessings that I get to experience? Jesus. Would you get wrapped up in Jesus? Hey, would you just go get tight with Jesus? Hey, would you just go be obsessed with Jesus? Hey, would you sit in this position called Christ and never, ever, 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 ever get up from that position? You do not graduate from being in Christ. In fact, that only deepens, expands. You become more confident. You refuse to depart from that position. Because from this point forward, that's my position. That's my life in Jesus. Well, if you want to join the study for next Tuesday, uh, we're going to be looking at verse 4. Woo! We're moving on. And we're going to look at this idea, the fact that he has chosen us before the foundation of the world. Uh, So no pressure, but if you want to join the study encourage you to read the book of Ephesians every day this week. And uh, at least specifically read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, which is that blessing section, and just read it every day, read it multiple times a day, just get it in your mind, focus on it, saturate it in it, saturate yourself in it. And then again, if you want to go a little bit deeper, study the concept of being chosen in Christ. And we'll look at that next Tuesday. Well, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the fact that we have the ability to be in you. And it's not just us in you. You want to be inside of us. Lord, I pray that we would live in that reality of the indwelling life of Christ. Lord, I pray that our identity would be you. That somehow all these, just the the outflow of being in Christ would be experienced in our life. Jesus, somehow when the world sees us, would you not let them see us? We're just a pot that has a crack in it. We are a weakened vessel. And somehow, Jesus, when the world looks upon us, may they just see the glory that is shining through our lives. May they just just see your life oozing out of every pore of our body. May they see you. May they see your character. May they see your life. Lord, we want to decrease that you may be seen all the more. Lord, thank you that we even have the opportunity to be in Christ, that we can be in the king of the universe the King of kings and Lord of lords. What an amazing reality. We love you, Jesus. Let's give the praise and the glory in your precious name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8:15 a.m. Mountain Time Monday through Saturday and 7:15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellersley campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.